Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Um, I'm going to be speaking to you from John's Gospel and um, I'm just going to read one verse from chapter 13 and then go straight into chapter 14. And I, I will read from the NASB, if you'll forgive me. And uh, it won't differ very greatly from the copy you're using. Okay, so John 13, and I'm reading verse 33, and then jumping straight into 14. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, Where I'm going, you can't come. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house and many dwelling places, if it weren't so, I'd have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father, abiding in me, does his works. Believe in me, that I'm in the Father. And the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll also do. And greater works than these he'll do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you'll see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you so much for the joy of fellowship. We thank you again for these great truths we've been singing that make our hearts burst with joy. Lord, the wonder of one who stands on our behalf in the heavens, 
one who has incorporated us into his very self. Lord Jesus, we worship you and magnify you and celebrate your incredible kindness to us. We thank you for your atoning death. We thank you for your willingness to go that bitter way, drink that bitter cup. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We praise and magnify you. We thank you, Lord, that you ever had ambition for our lives when we hardly had any for ourselves. And Lord, we thank you for your great plans and purposes. Now, Father, we ask you, in the name of Jesus, that your mighty Holy Spirit would rest upon us now, lead us into truth, we pray. Let this meditation in your word do us good in a lasting way, that we might bear more fruit to you, be more prepared to serve you, more equipped. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as Christians, we make this unique claim, don't we, that we enjoy the presence of God, the presence of our shepherd, that he's with us, that we enjoy his being with us. It's a unique claim. It's not a claim that you'll find uh, Muslims or Hindus or other religions make. We, we believe that God is with us. We've uh, uttered his name here last evening, Emmanuel. God is with us. We love that. We love that truth. He's enriched our lives. He says, because I live, you shall live also. There's a relationship with him. He's a very present shepherd to us. He's what we need for life. He's the one who accompanies us and enriches our lives and invites us to draw very close. Now, of course, uh, our consciousness of his presence goes back into, if you like, into our Jewish roots, that that was the experience of men of the Old Testament where, for instance, you think of Moses where he's looking after a few sheep, we're told, at the backside of the desert, he sees a, a, a bush that is not just burning out, it's not just turning to smoke, it just keeps on burning and burning and burning. He goes to investigate this extraordinary sight, and when he gets there, suddenly uh, he's being addressed. Uh, God's speaking to him by name and uh, uh, arresting his life and commissioning him in this incredible encounter with God that Moses is having. God's great plan of salvation is moving on. Uh, speaking to men who've been cast out from the presence of God, and God's program for re-engaging with the human race is moving on apace. He started to Abraham. He said, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's uh, redemption plan, beginning in Abraham, then the, we know about the nation going down into Egypt and growing to some two million people, and now God's beginning to move afresh and uh, made himself known to this man. Moses. And uh, he says to Moses, now go and uh, bring my people. And uh, he goes and brings two million people. And uh, if, if uh, a bush glows with glory for one man, a whole mountain glows with glory for the two million people. And uh, it says uh, uh, there was lightning and thunder and smoke and glory. Uh, and it seems to me from the Deuteronomy reading, two million people heard the voice of God. Uh, they imagine you're standing there and you hear the, the creator of the universe speaking to you. Uh, God is speaking. And this is a trumpet that grew louder and louder. Uh, and they said to Moses, you go up the mountain. And uh, but suddenly God is with these people. God is among them. And God says, I will travel with you. A pillar of glory goes before them. 
a cloudy pillar, the night is full of light and majesty and wonder. And God is permitting himself to be with these people. He's going to lead them now, like a shepherd, through the wilderness. And that's a kind of almost a kind of iconic picture, which is picked up in 1 Corinthians 10, of how God led his people and how he's leading us now. He's shepherding us. And uh, there they are, they're going with God. And it's uh, an unusual way that we might think God would bless all the families of the earth. He's not speaking to the Mexicans and the Chinese and the Indians. He's speaking to this people, just this nation. And he says, I'm with you. I make covenant with you. He brings them to himself. He betrothes himself to them. At Sinai, he manifests his glory to them. And they're in this unique and special relationship with him. And from them is going to come the answer to the world's needs. And they had that unique place. Of course, at one point, through their terrible backsliding, making a golden calf, even while they're there at Sinai, God says, enough. Uh, I'm not going to go with you. And you get that prayer of Moses. Uh, if, if, if your presence doesn't go with us, uh, don't take us anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And uh, this great man of prayer, Moses, pleads with God, don't, don't do that, Lord. You've got to go with us. Why? Well, because this is what makes us distinct. Of all the peoples of the earth, that your presence goes with us. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're people that have the living God with us. No other nation has this. We have the living God with us. If you're not going with us, hey, forget it. We're not going anywhere. And Moses is a mighty man of prayer. I love, I love those prayers of Moses with Jesus, with, with the Father. And uh, at one point, I noticed in Deuteronomy, in, um, sorry, Exodus 33, where at one point God says to Moses, let me alone that I might judge them. And uh, I think that's just amazing to feel as, as God says, I'm going to judge them. And Moses says, no, no, no. And God says, let me alone. It's like, get off my back. I want to, no, I'm not going to let you. And that's something of an insight into the power of prayer, the invitation for us to pray and prove him. You can prevail. You can kind of almost impose your will on God with all the mystery that's involved in that. And we're invited to come to God like that, to, to relate to him, fellowship with him, get to know him, ask him in a brave, provocative way, Lord, do this thing, do this thing. And Moses says, no, we're not going if you're not coming with us. And God wonderfully goes with them. He says, okay, I'll go with you. I will continue with you. And not only will he go with them, he says that I, I would I want a tent. You're living in tents. I want you to make me a tent. And there are many references, but we find, for instance, the end of Exodus 40, it says Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So now God is manifestly with these people. He has his own tent where his glory overshadows it, floods it. Uh, and initially Moses can't even go into it because the living creator is among the people. He's there with them. He's traveling with these people. And we read later that uh, that becomes the tent of meeting, and Moses would go through the camp, and uh, men would stand at the tents 
as Moses goes through the camp and goes into the tent of meeting and comes out again with his face shining. That God is among these people, traveling with them, moving with them, dwelling among them in a tent, probably made of animal skins, I guess. I'm sure that's the kind of thing that was in John's mind when he wrote, as we were hearing last night so beautifully, from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, dwelt amongst us. The Word is tabernacled, and we beheld his glory. And I'm sure that's the kind of background of John's thinking that back there in Moses' day, yeah, there was a tabernacle and they beheld the glory. And, and now here in the New Testament, he's saying the word became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us and we saw his glory. And we mentioned yesterday the first place of the revelation of that glory was at the wedding of Cana. They saw glory now in a man who came to a wedding. A man who transformed situations, a man who showed kindness and mercy. He was among people. He's no longer a tent made of animal skins. He's a man that you can fellowship with, that you can be near. Dear Carson says, God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. When the word became flesh, God became man and pitched his tent among us. God became flesh. The message translation says, moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He came amongst us. He lived with people. He was there. And we beheld his glory. We read in John, no one has ever seen God at any time. This one who was in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. The Greek word is exegesis. He's given us the exegesis. He's given us the explanation. How can you know God? How can we know this mighty shepherd? David said, the Lord's my shepherd. How do you know him? Well, he said, I will become a shepherd. I will come among you. And uh, we can know God. We can know what he's like. He's the exegesis. He's the explanation. He's the one who shows us what the Father is like. God has revealed himself extraordinarily. We're not left wondering. We're not looking for a mystical experience to tell us what God is like. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. And John could write later, the life was manifested. And we beheld and we handled the word of life. Imagine what his, imagine his pen might have been trembling. I leant on it. I rested my head on God. God was among us. The word became flesh. He dwelt among us. The life was manifested. We touched and handled this word of life. God spoke to us. This is in Hebrews. God spoke in a son. Hebrews 1. I love those opening verses in Hebrews where God has spoken long ago in the prophets, many portions, many ways, in these last days. And he's, he's spoken, and some translations, including this one, say, in his son. Many of us would know the word his isn't there. He spoke to us in a son, or in son. I was in Bulgaria last year. I stood up and spoke in English. 
and they just looked at me, my mouth opening and closing. Then another guy spoke in Bulgaria. God's spoken to us in sound, in a language we understand. He's come right to us, right among us. You can lean on him in touch, and the life is manifest. He's there. He's with us. That was their experience. These ordinary guys knew God, not in a tent, but in a man. The word became flesh. He was among them. He was touchable. He was reachable. He was, we had conversations with him. This is the extraordinary wonder. And it says in Hebrews, he is the radiance of his glory. The radiance. You know, it's one of these British days today, isn't it? No sunshine I can see. But you may find as you're on the motorway going home, I may, on the motorway going home, you may see a cloud break. And what do you see? You see this sunbeam, this radiance. And uh, I can't look at the sun, it would blind me, but I can see the radiance. I can see the sun's rays. And, and this, what, what are you looking at? You're looking at what? Well, you're looking at the sun <laughs> in terms I can look at. He's the radiance. He is coming from the Father, bringing actual manifestation of God. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. And it says next, he's the exact image, the exact representation. He's exactly. Exactly. The exact image. It's the same word, apparently, that when Jesus was asked, do we pay taxes? And his reply was, show me a coin. They give him a coin. He says, whose image is that? And they say, it's Caesar's. What does that mean? It means he had a stamp. Someone had a stamp. Someone had some molten metal. And what's in the stamp is what you get there. That is exactly, that's exactly, it's exact image. Exact image. Exact image. Jesus is the exact image. So we know exactly what God is like. I was once at a church, and before I preached, a couple were um, giving testimony. And the girl was a Christian, her husband, great big fellow, like a great big rugby player. Um, and uh, he was giving his testimony. He had his little baby in his arm. And he said, uh, I didn't believe anything. She did. I didn't believe anything. And then he said, then we had this baby. And I looked at him, and I thought, there's got to be a God. <laughs> I looked in the eyes of my baby. I thought, there's got to be a God. But where do we go from there? What's he like? We know exactly what he's like. Jesus is the exact, the exact image. We don't have to look somewhere else. We don't have to look for something mystical. We have a savior who is the exact image. He's the shepherd. God says, I will come down myself. He spoke to the shepherds of Israel back in Ezekiel. He says, I had enough of you. You don't heal my people. You don't feed them. I will come down. Be that shepherd. And he came down and he gave us a perfect, perfect. So we know, we know, you know what, what, what's God's attitude to little children? I mean, we know the disciples' attitude. Get these kids out of here. Jesus said, bring them to me. We, we, know, we know Jesus' attitude. We know God's attitude to uh, people who are broken and fallen. Even a woman caught in the act of adultery, thrown at Jesus' feet. We have a revelation of God. His attitude to the Pharisees, his attitude to Simon Peter when he failed. I know what God is like. He's like Jesus. We have a God, and he's just like Jesus. It's great to know, isn't it? What a wonderful revelation. He came to show us exactly what the Father was like. 
Of course, there was that day he lost it, wasn't it? That day when uh, he went into the temple and, uh, you know, they were making money and uh, ruining the temple. And Jesus kind of blew it that day, didn't he? Turned the tables over, make up his whip, drove them all out. And I guess that night said, sorry, Father, I really blew it today. No, okay, won't go any further with that before you throw me out of heretic. <laughs> Here's the perfect, isn't it, revelation of God. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Oh, that you would shut the doors of my house. I hate this formal nonsense. And Jesus came and lifted up. He gave us the perfect illustration of God, the perfect revelation. No wonder we're told not to make any images. We have one who comes perfectly to demonstrate us God. So he says to Philip in our reading, Philip's to show us the Father. How long have I been with you, Philip? And you haven't seen the Father. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus among us as a perfect revelation of God. What we have heard, what our eyes have seen, our hands or have handled. Try and imagine for a little while what it was like for these men, ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, guys that were gathered. What was it like being around Jesus for three years? What was it like? Imagine them gathering in the mornings, perhaps waking in the morning, because often they slept rough. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. These 12 guys are traveling with him. I can imagine them waking, saying, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over there praying. I guess he won't be long. I wonder what today holds. I wonder what it's going to do today. Last week, I couldn't believe it when he stopped that funeral. I was staggered when he stepped forward to that funeral. And woke up that child, that widow of Nahum. He just called him up. Wow. And those lepers, I mean, everyone's running away and scared. And he just he touched. He touched that leper. He was perfectly healed. And do you remember when we said to that blind beggar, go away, go away. She said, bring him to me. And he was just amazing. I wonder what's going to happen today. I wonder what, this, I wonder what today brings. Being with God every day. It's a pretty exciting life. Being with God every day. I wonder what today is going to bring. What about that? The other week, when, we, when he went up into the mountain, and 5,000 followed us. D.A. Carson says 5,000, says in the text, 5,000 men plus women plus children. T.A. Carson says probably 20,000 people. That's his estimate. So there's Jesus on a mountain with 20,000 people. And it says he taught them and he healed them. And then they slept. And then the next day, he taught them and healed them some more. And then they slept again. And the third day, it says, he healed them all. 20,000 people in what we would call a third world country, and everybody's well. God came down on a mountain with truth, and love, wisdom, and healed everybody. <laughs> and at the, end, at the end, Peter says, hey, Lord, you better send these people away. They're getting hungry. I haven't eaten. I've been with us three days. And Jesus turns to him and says, you feed me. What have you got? Oh, a few loaves and fishes. Jesus says, bring them to me. Blesses them. 
breaks it, gives it to Peter. Right, feed them, Peter. Wow, ah, 20,000 people. Okay, I can imagine Peter saying, right. You want to observe this? Live with me. Come and enjoy being with God. I'm just following a cloud, anonymous, the man who loves you, keeps talking to you, showing you truth, setting you free from false concepts and manifesting in your life. What was it like? Must be breathtaking. Must be breathtaking. And it's in that context, the first verse I read to you. Jesus says in John 13, 33, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. Where I'm going, you can't come. I, I, I just read this in a kind of new way of way. Because I don't think I've known, I must have read it hundreds of times in my life. And, you know, you kind of don't take it in because when you became a Christian, someone said to you, you know, Christ is now with you, he'll never leave you. And you take that on board, and uh, you know that's true. He's never going to abandon you. He's always going to be there for you. And so when you read a verse like that, it doesn't kind of hit you. But I felt God kind of arrested my attention recently and seemed to say to me, think what that was like for Peter. <laughs> Imagine Peter, and he's being told this, I'm not around much longer. I mean, this, like, this world he's been caught up in for three years of being with Jesus. And John says, I've only written just a tiny bit of what happened. If I was to write the whole thing, the world couldn't contain the books. Maybe a bit of hyperbole, but they're saying, wow, if you knew the whole deal. And they're living with him every day, every day, every day, every day. And he suddenly says, I'm going. You're going? What do you mean you're going? I'm going. What do you mean you're I can imagine Peter saying, no, 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 I've left, I've left everything to be with you. What do you mean you're going? Just feel it with me. <laughs> what was it like? He's going away. He's going away. And then he says these extraordinary words. He said, I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. And what, what do you say? I won't leave you orphans. I'll come. Oh, he's not going. Hey, boys, it's okay. Whew, it's okay. Don't panic. He says, he says he's not going away. Oh, Jesus, you'd never say that again. You scared, <laughs> you scared the life out of me. You scared the life out of me. I left everything. To what? To be a Christian. What does that mean? Well, you go to church on Sunday morning and there's a midweek thing, Wednesday night. Or, you know, you come here. That's, that's, no, no. <laughs> that's not Simon Peter. Simon Peter is... I get to be with Jesus every day. I left everything. I left my boats, my nets, the whole deal to be with you and you're going away? Come on. It's outrageous. No, I won't leave you. Oh, it's okay. It's coming back. Just try and get there for a moment. 
what's that going to be like if he's not here? He's not here. He's going away. I can't, I cannot bear to think. Now I've started living with God. You would tell me I'm going to live without God? I'm sure you felt like Moses. If you're not coming with us, we're not going anywhere. Surely he would have felt the same. Your presence is what makes life completely different. Come on. How can you go away? We've got to feel what was it like to become a Christian? To be with Jesus all the time. Sure, that's the deal. Get to be with you. Then he says, oh, sorry, I'm not going away. I'll come back. Oh, I'm returning. Oh, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. But if we've never read the verse, I'm going with any weight, we've somehow missed it, at least I have. What about I'm coming back? Have we, have we given that the weight? What does that mean? What do you think it means? What does you think it mean? Well, it's interesting. If you look at, you look at commentaries, I've got umpteen commentaries on John's Gospel. You look at all the various commentaries, and this would be typical. Westcott's famous old commentary, he says this, the fulfillment of the promise began at the resurrection, and the promise is potentially completed at Pentecost. It is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one application of the phrase exhausts its meaning. It could be the resurrection, it could be Pentecost, it could be the end of the age. Any one of those, choose. If you used to look at the NIV Study Bible, for instance, you'll find similar. If you look at nearly every commentary, it says that sort of thing. Apart from Hendrickson, which I'll come back to in a minute. I think he's wrong. You see, what do I mean? Why do I say that? Because I'm trying to stand where Peter stood when he first heard it. My shepherd's going, and that's goodbye. That's the end. It's all over. I'm not going to live with God anymore. He's finished. He's going where I can't go. It's the end of the one. It was a three, three years. What is the church? Is the church a group of people who gather together with a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was here? Is that the church? Well, write it down. Do you remember when he said that? Oh, that was so good. Write that one down. That was so good. Don't want to forget that one. And do you remember when he did that? Oh, write it down. Oh, good. Yeah, he wrote that. Oh, well, that was amazing. Amazing. Good. Good. So we've got, we've got all these wonderful memories of what it used to be like when God was around. And the church is a group of people who gather and listen to what it used to be like when God used to be here. Wonderful. When God used to be here. So wonderful. Is that the church? A group of people who gather to remember what it was like when God used to be. We, <laughs> we, we had a, a church where I was in in Brighton for 30 years. We, um, a young guy became part of us. He became a youth pastor, became an elder, ultimately became the leading elder in the local church there. Massive personality. A big Australian personality. Wonderful guy. And he was with us about 14 years, seven years as the senior pastor. And, uh, and then he said, came to my office one day, said, Terry, I feel it's time to go. Uh, he said at the beginning, I will go back to Australia. No, I will. 
who've been with us long enough, have four kids, raised his family. He's gone back, he's planted a great church in Sydney, done very, very well. But there came a point where, <laughs> you know, so we're going. I said, wow, people. it was always going to happen, but it's like two years away. It's always going to be two years away. And suddenly it was happening. And we had our farewell parties and, uh, you know, the big goodbyes for Pete and Susan, their family. And I remember I drove down to church the next day, drove down, I thought, oh, where's Pete's car? Is he here yet? No, uh, oh, you fool, he's gone. <laughs> and we had to get used to that Pete's not here anymore. It's kind of fading memory of his huge personality. But he's not here anymore. Is that the church? He's not here anymore. Jesus said, I won't leave you, orphans. I'll come to you. And I'm sure that was enough for Peter. When Peter heard that, oh, it's okay, guys. He's, he's not leaving. He's coming back. And then they said, well, it could be the resurrection. That's what Westcott says and other commentators. It could be the resurrection. Well, I mean, the resurrection is awesome, isn't it? You can't have wow, wonderful. Imagine. Resurrection. They couldn't believe for joy. Mary Magdalene, who, who hung around with the apostolic gang, she's there all the time. She's around. She cannot imagine a day without Jesus. Mary Magdalene. She wants to be around Jesus, even when he's dead. Even if I'm only going to be near the corpse. I can't be a day without Jesus, even if he's dead. And so she comes to the corpse, and he's gone. And you get this heart-rending cry. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where he is. How am I going to live? He's back. But he's not present. Don't flip to me. Oh, what's this? And in six weeks, I think Peter would say, hey, you said you weren't going. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it is the resurrection. It's okay for us in our studies to write this 2,000 years later. It's not okay for Simon Peter. Or it could be the end of the age. Well, that's wonderful too, isn't it? When you think, what's happening to the world? The climate's going crazy. The world's burning up. The economy's on the knife edge. What's happening to our world? Jesus is gone. Hallelujah. He's the Lord of history. He's the King. It's wonderful to know he's coming. It's absolutely stunningly wonderful to know this whole history is in his hand. But for Simon Peter, it's all right, Peter, I'm coming back. Oh, good. What about 3,000 years? 3,000 years? (laughs) What about tomorrow? That's where Peter's been living with Jesus. That's what it is for him to be a Christian. It's being with Jesus all the time. Being with God. Like Moses, no, no, it's what makes us distinct. You're with us. If you're not with us, who are we? Who are we? No, I don't think any of those are adequate. So what does William Hendrickson say in his famous conservative Banner of Truth commentary? What Jesus means is my departure will not be like that of a father whose children are left as orphans when he dies. In the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. 
when the Spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. Thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left as orphans. I believe he's right. I believe it's got to be the correct interpretation. You know, up until this point, John's gospel says very little about the Trinity. But in this passage, you know, John 14, we've just read together, summer 13, now 14, 15, 16, in a way that Jesus has never done before. He begins to open up the whole subject of the Trinity. He's introducing this one who will come, this spirit who will come, this other helper, this another one like me. And we're being introduced to the mystery of the Trinity. We're being introduced to the wonder of the Trinity. I will come, but we don't mean you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then Spirit of Jesus, you know, like four. No, no. He's saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm back. I'm back. As far as you're concerned, I'm back. And I believe on the day of Pentecost, when those guys are in the upper room, and they suddenly hear a hurricane, and a mighty rushing wind, whoa, and fire. And they're all fell. I can imagine Simon Peter saying, he's back, he's back. God's back with us. God's back with us. Beloved, we're not a group of people who gather to a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was with us. If we are, we are most to be pitied here. It's like, wow, those guys were massively privileged. It was a fleeting moment when God, no, 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 no. We are in the age of the Spirit. They're what Paul calls the dispensation of the Spirit, the age when God is manifestly in his church. We are his dwelling place. He is among us. And the invitation to live with Jesus is just as real. We need to help the saints that we serve. So you're called to a relationship with Jesus. You're called to be with him, to know him, to fellowship with him, to talk with him, to be enjoying the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our corporate life together, as we've had so wonderfully, as we've been led so beautifully by our musicians, such great songs, no empty foolish songs, songs full of truth and the sense of spirit owning them, and we together say, yes, Lord. Being with him corporately, the dwelling of God together in the spirit, the city of God, the holy place, the joy of the whole earth. That's our privilege. And individually, the temple of the Holy Spirit, meeting with God on a daily basis. Meeting with God on a daily basis. Just before I close, just one last word, which you must be free to dismiss, if you like, this private interpretation, okay? which I'm very scared of, but you must have mercy on me as I'm going home in a minute. <laughs> the beginning of the chapter, that's why I read it the way I did. Verse 33 of 13, and then jump straight into 14. 14 starts, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, many rooms, etc. We tend to take verses out, don't we? Even as evangelicals. You know, that's a good verse, Lord. Stick that one on the wall. Uh, believe in God, don't let your heart be troubled. Verse. Uh, but the context is, I'm going away. Don't let your heart be troubled. In my father's house, see, Jesus uses language, house. It's like, I am the true vine. I can imagine thinking, talking to one another, he thinks he's a tree now. <laughs> You're the branch, I'm the vine. He uses language, I'm, my father's house, there are many rooms. 
I go to prepare a place for you. I think we often think, well, that means when you die, you know, there'll be a room for you. And, uh, you know, Jesus has gone to prepare it. He's giving it a fresh lick of paint, pop up the cushions a bit, getting his room ready. Is that how you start a world mission? He's going to send these guys, go and make disciples of all nations. I, I felt, well, wait a minute, later in the chapter, it says, I won't leave you, I'll come again. I believe that's talking about when the Spirit comes. So what about the beginning of the chapter? I won't leave. i got to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you to myself. That where I am, you can be also. Where I am, you can be. When the Spirit comes, where I am, you can be. In the passage, it says, I am in the Father, the Father's in me. So when the Spirit comes, then you'll know I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I am in you. I am in you. The Spirit coming in such a way that we're kind of with him. And what I, 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 felt, I felt that's what it could mean. I don't want to take anybody away from a nice room with cushions and stuff. But when it said, I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, you can be. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, yes, Lord Jesus, every day. Every day, Lord Jesus, I want to be in this room with you. I want to be in this place you prepared for me. I want to enjoy being with you every day. I want to be with you, Lord Jesus. I want to live this day with you. I want to enjoy being with you. I want to be in your presence. You're inviting me to be there. Paul says this, we were co-raised with him. We're co-crucified, we're co-buried, we're co-raised. Now what? We're co-seated with him in heavenly places. That's Paul's kind of statement of position. That's where we live. John says, then you'll know I'm in the Father. And I'm in you. Or as Paul says elsewhere, my life is hid with Christ in God. I can live with God. I can live with Jesus. I can. It wasn't just a blip on world history when God drew very close to people in a brief visit. Then we all live looking back. So that was an amazing time. Surely it's to open up more and more and more. And we can live with God. We can fellowship with God. We can be enjoying the communion of the Spirit. We can enjoy being with Him, getting to know Him better and better. So often people say, well, do I have to read the Bible? I'm not just saying that to Simon Peter. You, know, you have to read. Of course I want to read. I want to find out more. I want to meet with him here. I want to fellowship with him in this wonderful revelation. It's not just what it used to be like. It's, hey, he's here. It's relevant to me now. I can be with him. I can enjoy him. Do I have to pray? I'm not just saying that to Simon Peter. I can be with him. I can talk to him. I can be in his presence. It's no, he hasn't left us orphans. As Hendrickson says in his commentary, thus only can it be explained the disciples are not left as orphans because the spirit of adoption has come. And we're brought right into the Father's house. 
We're with God. We join with God. We fellowship with God. And beloved, we use language like Emmanuel, God is with us, but I don't think we give it the weight. And I guess that's the whole point of my word this morning. For Simon Peter to suddenly hear that I used to be that close to God and that's all over. That was just three years. It's all over. And then to hear, no, 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 it's not. I'm coming back. I'll be with you. What is our expectation of being with him? Enjoying his being with us. Experiencing him. If I can just throw in a little bit. I've seen more people healed since I've seen this than I've ever seen before. Because he's here with us. All things are possible. Well, that's not the only application. But when they destroyed Jesus, I can imagine Pilate saying, what's happening at the gate, Temple? I thought I killed the guy. There's a cripple jumping around. What's that Stephen up to? What's that? They're all getting killed. What's that Philip up to? I thought I killed him. He's breaking out everywhere. He's breaking out everywhere. I thought I got rid of him. He's everywhere. That's how the book of Acts was. He's everywhere. See, the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit does not mean God thinly spread. <laughs> He's everywhere. He's everywhere. And so when people come to Jesus, even Paul, even Paul, who didn't know Jesus in the flesh, it would seem, he said, this is it, that I might know him. That was his passion. I'm, I'm willing to lose everything. I can know him. I want to be here. I want to be with him. I want to know him better. There's a personal passion to know Christ through whom Christ I know God. This passion to know him, to be with him. So it's joy unspeakable, full of glory. Not a fading memory. It's experiencing God. Having God with us. Really, God with us. All things are possible. Because God is with us. This is what I believe would uh, come out from this word. So let's make it our longing for me to live with Christ. Just to know him, to be with him, to enjoy him, to experience him. To be a bit like Mary Magdalene saying, I can't live a day without him. I mean, I can find the corpse if necessary, but I can't even find the corpse now. But I can't, I can't, I think Mary Magdalene could not imagine living a day without Jesus. And we so sadly kind of interpret that into some kind of law or rule, or you have to do this. No, no, no. It's the offer of fellowship with God. And that's what we're being offered. We can know God, we can enjoy God, and together we can experience God in breathtaking ways. He can break through, he can manifest his power. He can be in our prayer meetings. He can give us faith. He can give us breakthroughs. He's amongst us. When Paul came to Corinth, he's scared out of his life. He's trembling. Jesus comes to him. He says, don't be scared, Paul. I've got many people in this city. I'm with you in this. He didn't stand back. He's not a theist. He didn't wind it all up and say, no, you're going to watch. He's with us. He's in it. Come on, Paul. I've got many people in Corinth. Let's go. Let's go. That's what he's saying to us, beloved. Come on, let's go. He's with us, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonder that 
men could say, we saw, we handled. The life was manifested. We beheld him. We touched him. We handled him. We lived with God. He invited us into his world. Now he says to us, the things I do, you can do also. Lord Jesus, please let your spirit open the eyes of our hearts that we might know you better, live with you more, be fascinated with God, filled with wonder that God has come into our lives. God is in our church. God is living with us in our family. Father, that we might walk with you, enjoy you, celebrate you. Holy Spirit, make Jesus more and more real to us, we pray. Live in our lives. Thank you, we're not orphans. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, we belong to the household of God. Please let your spirit keep working in us. Be greatly glorified. Let us bear much fruit to your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.